As we begin the month of June, we're beginning a new sermon series based on, on Jesus. And we're going to start off the, the series this morning with a lesson I've entitled to fulfill all righteousness. And again, if I turn this way and turn back this way, don't make that awkward for me because I'm used to looking at both sides. But I was up here the other day and I exploded one of the light bulbs. So I apologize for that. Um, But we are going to talk this morning about the baptism of Jesus. We're going to take a lot of that based on Matthew chapter 3, beginning of verse 13 through 17. Uh, When we think about the baptism of Jesus, it's an event that I've read over and over throughout my lifetime, but I've never really dug deep into what it was and what it meant. And I really think that this is an event that can really build a faith in us as Christians. Because this shows, this event shows Jesus' submission to the will of God. During this event, we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost converge in this one event. Which is basically God putting a stamp of approval on the ministry that Jesus is about to begin. A ministry that will lead to his death, burial, and resurrection, which is what we base our faith on today. Which is why we sit here today. This is why we worship God today uh, through Jesus Christ. Because he came to this earth to die for us and for our sins. Now Jesus, when looking at this baptism, obviously thought this was important. As we'll talk about as we go on through this lesson. He thought this was something that he needed to do. And hopefully, as we go throughout this lesson, we can shed some light on some different questions. That we might have about this event. And about, about the baptism of Jesus. Some questions like, why would John, this man John, who we call John the Baptist, why would he be the one to baptize Jesus? Who was he? Why did Jesus need to be baptized in the first place? Being a man with no sin. How does this apply to us today? And hopefully as we go through this lesson... We can address these questions and have a, a little clearer understanding of what this event truly meant. Before we go too deep into the subject of the actual baptism, I want to look at John himself. In Luke chapter 1, we see that Zacharias is talking to an angel who is telling him that, that they, he will have a son and his name will be John. And we can see that John has a bigger purpose from the beginning. And when we look at verse 15, it says, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. Going on in that verse, it says, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And if you continue reading this chapter, which we're not going to this morning, you see that John actually leaped in the womb of his mother when he was in the presence of Jesus while he was in the womb of his mother. Going on to verse 16, it says, and many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God and he shall go before him. In the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And that was John's purpose, wasn't it? John's purpose was to point the way to Jesus Christ. And as we go on throughout his life, we see that that's exactly what he did through this baptism. When you look at Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Going on to the end of that reading, it says, and, and these people were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. When we study this baptism, we see John calling on the Jews of that time to repent, to confess of their sins, and to be baptized for the remission of their sins through this baptism. And that's what he's doing. He's calling on these Jews, not because he is some great person on his own, but because he is delivering the message of Jesus Christ. We know Jesus is about to begin his ministry. Jesus is about to live a perfect life that will set him up to sacrifice himself for each one of us. And John is saying, there's a new way. And he's pointing to Jesus through this baptism. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 7, going on previous to Jesus being baptized, we see evidence of John doing this to pave the way for Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 3, beginning of verse 7, it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. You see, a change is coming. A change is about to happen. And John's paving the way to that change. The Jews no longer could claim salvation or claim to be a child of God by their lineage. Once Jesus came, a new way would be implemented. And the only way to heaven, the only way to be forgiven of our sins, the only way to become a child of God would be through Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what John is pointing out here. If you look at Luke chapter 16 and verse 16, it says the law and the prophets were until John. Basically, those law and prophets that Moses had set into place were to John. John was pointing to a new way, a different way, a better way. And going on in that verse, it says, since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth unto it. See, John is saying it's not about anything we can do. It's about Jesus Christ. And he's preparing those Jews for that change. He's preparing those Jews to understand that that Messiah that's been prophesied in the word of God, that his time is here. He is here. He is, he is about to start his ministry and he's about to do something great that's going to change everything. And that was John's purpose. That was why John came. That's why John was here baptizing. Now, when we look at Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, we see that John understands that his way was temporary. His way was not anything as great as what was about to come, and that was through Jesus Christ. You know, when we talk about the law, the law once pointed to Christ, but it gave no way to be forgiven of sins. There was no way that that, that could do what, it, what we needed it to do. 
And that's why we needed Jesus Christ. And John understood that. And in verse 11 of Matthew chapter 3, it says, Indeed, I baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He's saying there's a better way. And that's exactly his purpose was to point to that better way. That better way which was Jesus Christ. That time was at hand. And as we go through Matthew chapter 3, we come to the point and the actual event of Jesus being baptized. And I think there's a lot that's said in these verses. When you look at Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, it says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. And comest thou to me? I think that's interesting. Jesus comes to be baptized of John and of John's baptism. And Jesus says, or and John says, I need to be baptized of you. Why, why are you wanting? I, basically, the reaction that every one of us would probably have if that situation happened. John didn't understand it. He didn't quite get it, did he? He, he, he knew Jesus. Jesus was the one that, that this whole baptism was pointing to. But I want you to see Jesus' reaction and what he says here. And I think it tells us a lot. Because it says, And Jesus answering and said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Why did Jesus? Why was Jesus baptized? To fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? What does it mean to fulfill all righteousness? Being righteous is, is living according to God's will. Doing God's word. Obeying his word. Doing what's right. And Jesus says, I need to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Going on, it says, then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This was approved by God. This is what God wanted. And this was the, the beginning of a ministry that would lead to his death, burial, and resurrection. Which we base our faith on today. To fulfill all righteousness. But why was Jesus baptized? If you look at verses like Luke chapter 3 and verse 4, this verse talks about how John's whole purpose in being or uh, of baptizing and, do, and performing this baptism was to point to Jesus. Well, if this is pointing to Jesus, why does Jesus need to take part in it? But then you look at Luke chapter 3 and verse 3 and you realize that. This Jesus, this baptism was for a remission of sins. Well, Jesus was the man with no sin. First Peter one and verse 18 says, for as much as ye know that ye are not redeemed with corruptible things as the silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, listen to this as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Why would Jesus need to be baptized if he had no sin? Especially if this was a baptism for the remission of sin. Jesus was the spotless lamb. Why? 
I believe the reason is that this baptism at the time was not a suggestion, but instead a commandment. And I think we can see that if we look through the Word of God. Now, if we look at Luke chapter 7, we see here that Jesus is speaking of John and confirms the importance of John's baptism at that time to the Jews. He confirms that John is a messenger of God, that he is a prophet performing the work of God. But most importantly, what it says in verse 30. When you read verse 30, it says, But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God, being not baptized of him. You see, those Pharisees and Sadducees, those Pharisees and lawyers had a problem, didn't they? They rejected the counsel of God. Well, how did they reject reject the counsel of God? Or in other words, reject the commands of God. Well, they did it by not being baptized. This was a commandment to those Jews at the time. This was a command that pointed towards something better. They rejected the counsel of God. Now, what about Jesus? What if Jesus was not baptized? Would he be rejecting the counsel of God? You think of John or James chapter 4, verse 17, when we talk about these sins that we call sins of omission. Where John, James 4, and verse 17, it says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do, it, to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Jesus needed to be baptized. It was the counsel of God. As we saw in that earlier verse. Those Pharisees and lawyers rejected that counsel. They rejected the word of God because they weren't willing to submit to the word of God. And that's exactly what we see Jesus doing the opposite of. He was willing to submit to God's word. He was willing to do what God had commanded him to do. What God had asked him to do. And if he hadn't, it would have been sin. And he would no longer be that sacrifice that we need today. Therefore, he went through with that baptism. And he did what he needed to do. You see, John pointed out that Jesus would bring about a better way. That his baptism, his, his teaching was to point to something better. And again, we see that Matthew 3 and 11 where it says, But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, and whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. And he goes on to say, He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. You see, Jesus was going to implement a different baptism. A baptism that brought about the Holy Ghost. That he would baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And if you read, I I think this tells us the importance of this new baptism that was about to be brought about. This new way of obeying the gospel. He goes on in verse 12, it says, Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. I think that's what that's referring to when it talks about he will baptize you with the with the Holy Ghost and with fire. It was essential. It was something that we need to do. It's something that we need to be a part of, not because it's us performing some kind of work, but it's because we need to submit to God's word. And that's what we teach here today. And that's what we'll teach from now on is that we need to obey the gospel to become a child of God. We need to hear the word. 
We need to repent of our sins. We need to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We need to be baptized with Him into His death. And arise a new man and walk changed. Following God's Word. So as we go on in the lesson this morning, I want to look at the two baptisms. I want to look at John's baptism. And I want to look at the New Testament baptism that was implemented because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And I want to look at some similarities and some differences in that. And I want to thank Craig. He, he provided me with this chart. And I think it really, instead of trying to change it up any, I, I just used it. I thought it was a, a good chart that really shows us the differences and similarities in these two baptisms. And that's what I want to look at for just a minute as we go on. And the first similarity that I want to look at is that both required a faith in God. But there was a difference in that faith. When you look at that faith in God, you see that Jews were the only ones included in that baptism of John. Acts chapter 13 and verse 24, speaking of this baptism, it says, When John had first preached before the coming of the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. You see, this was for the people of Israel. This was to the Jews to point them to Christ. But this new baptism is different because it's not, it doesn't discriminate. It's for everyone. Romans chapter one, verse 16, it says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, it says everyone can accept this. Everyone can become a child of God now. Everyone has the access to the blood of Christ because that's who Christ died for. Everyone. Another similarity is that they both included repentance. Mark chapter 1 and verse 4, speaking of John's baptism again, it says, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance. It was all about changing who they were, finding a new direction, finding Christ. And that's exactly what this new baptism is about also when we repent, changing who we are. Directing our lives towards Christ. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, on the day of Pentecost, Peter is preaching the first gospel sermon as we talk about it. And these people hear it and they are convicted. In Acts 2 and 38, it says, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Change your ways. Live for Christ. See, the difference there, while they both were baptized of repentance is that this repentance pointed towards Jesus. This one is backed by the blood of Christ. Another similarity is that they were both for the remission of sins. Mark chapter 1 and verse 4, once again, at the end of that, it says, and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Acts chapter 22 and verse 16 Paul, looking back on his conversion, looking at what he did to become a child of God, he says, Ananias tells him, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. It's all about remission of sins. And another similarity is that they both required water. When we look at John chapter 3 and verse 23, it says, And John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem, Because there was much water. And when we talk about baptism, anytime you look at baptism in the in the word of God, you're talking about a full submersion. They needed much water. Acts chapter 10 and 47 says that this New Testament baptism also requires that water. 
says, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized? Water was essential. So there's many similarities, but I think where the rubber hits the road and what really shows us how important this New Testament baptism is, is the differences. And I think the first difference we want to look at is that valid period. When you're talking about when that was valid. And when you're looking at John's baptism, you know that valid period was from John's ministry to the cross. This was before the new covenant. This was before Jesus was sacrificed himself on the cross. It was from John, the beginning of John's ministry to that point. And if you look at, at chapters like Acts chapter 19, where these people were baptized in the baptism of John, it was no longer valid. They went back and were baptized, as we'll see, in the name of the Lord. It was no longer valid. Because that sacrifice was made. That new way had come. Jesus was the better way. He had come. He died. He was buried. He was resurrected. A new way was implemented. And as we see, that valid period extended from that day of Pentecost till the end of time. What we are experiencing, where we are living right now, this is what we are commanded to do. Is this New Testament baptism. Another similarity is that both required a faith in Jesus Christ. But I want you to see the difference in this. While it is a similarity, I think the difference is more telling. And we've already addressed this a little bit. But if you look at Acts chapter 19 and verse 14, looking back on this, on this baptism, these people, again, had been taught wrong. And we'll talk about this a little bit more later. But they were, they were taught wrong and they were baptized of John. In verse 4, it says, Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. You see, John's baptism pointed to Christ. But it wasn't backed by the blood of Christ. It pointed to Christ. It prepared a way for Christ. It said that Messiah is here. His time is at hand. The kingdom is being established. But if we look at Acts chapter 8, verse 36, and we know the story, the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. How Philip went out and he found this man reading the word of God. And Philip says, do you know what you're reading? And the man says, how can I know what I'm reading? Unless you tell me. And it says that he preached to him, Jesus Christ. And as we see, that faith caused him to want to take action. That understanding that Jesus Christ died for him, that he was buried, that he was resurrected, led him to understand what he needed to do. And we see that in verse 36. And it says, And they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? You see, John's baptism pointed towards Christ. The New, New Testament baptism pointed to the sacrifice of Christ that had already happened. And that, and that faith was already there. That faith in Jesus Christ was there already. That understanding that they needed His blood. They both required confessions. But there's a big difference in these confessions. Matthew 3 and verse 6, speaking of John's baptism, it says, And were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. 
their confession was a confession of sin. But as we look and we go on in the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, when he was baptized, I want you to see what his confession was before he was baptized. It says, and Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, that thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. It was backed by that sacrifice. And that's what that confession was made on. The belief that Jesus Christ was the son of God. Another difference is that John's was again only to reveal Christ to Israel. To prepare that way. John 1 and 31, it says, I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore, am I come baptizing with water. It pointed to Christ. But I think here is where it really impacts us. Because this New Testament baptism is all about Christ. It's all about what he did for us. It's all about his sacrifice that he made on the cross. We see that this New Testament baptism is a baptism into the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Acts 19 and verse 5, again, looking back at those men, those, those people who had been baptized under John's baptism. It says, and when they heard this, they understood they were in error. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They understood that John's baptism couldn't do what this New Testament baptism could do because it wasn't backed by the blood of Christ. And it says they were baptized in the name of Jesus. They were baptized. When we're baptized, we're baptized into Christ. Acts chapter 3 and verse 26, it says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. When we are baptized, when we obey God and we're buried with him in baptism, we put on Christ. We're baptized into his body. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, it says, For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body. We're baptized into his death. Romans 6 verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ? We're baptized into his death. When we are buried with him, we are buried with him in his death in the watery grave of baptism. And we arise a new man, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Another huge difference is something John's baptism could never do. And that's when you are baptized by the New Testament baptism, you receive the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 19 and verse 2, speaking again. These men and women have been taught... In error. They have been baptized with John's baptism. And I think we can see that right here. I think this verse lays that out for us. It says, He said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. They had been taught the baptism of John. And it says, And he asked him, He says, Have you received the Holy Ghost? And they said, We don't even know what that is. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. But if you look at Acts chapter 5 and verse 32, we see what this New Testament baptism will do for us. It says, And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. When we obey the gospel of Christ, when we hear the word, when we repent of our sins, when we confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and when we're buried with him in baptism, we receive that Holy Ghost. 
Something John's baptism could never do. Something the Old Testament law could never do. And that's why Christ had to come and sacrifice himself for us. But I think most importantly, we see that when we obey him in baptism, we become a child of God. Galatians 3 and verse 26, it says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. When we're baptized, when we submit, and that's the key, when we submit, when we put our wants, when we put our think-sos aside and we submit to the word of God, we're blessed and we become a child of God. And I think that's the bottom line. So when we look at all the differences, I think the biggest difference and the most important difference that we understand between these two baptisms is that that New Testament baptism that was implemented because of his death, burial, and resurrection is backed by his blood. It's backed by his sacrifice. He died for that. And that's what makes it so important. That's what makes it so important for us to believe and to take part in. You see, when Christ died on the cross, his will, God's will was accomplished. When he died on the cross, he was buried, he was resurrection. God's will was accomplished. Christ had submitted to God's will. He did what he was asked to do. And because of that, we benefit. But it takes us being willing to submit to the word of God also. To submit to his will. Which I think sometimes we find hard to do. But what we have to understand is he was that perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 10 and 14, it says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And we're sanctified through his blood. We're justified through his blood. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says, Then then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So as we come to the kind of the close, we're not real close, so don't jump up and cheer, but we've got a little ways to go. But I want to look at one last similarity between John's baptism and New Testament baptism. And I think that similarity is one that's not such a good similarity. It's not something we should aspire to. And that's that there were many people who rejected it, who rejected both. We read in Matthew chapter 3 about those Pharisees and Sadducees who came. It said in verse, verse 7, once again, it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, they didn't come to be baptized. They didn't come to submit to the will of God. It says, He said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that which bringeth forth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. You see, these men weren't willing to submit to God's word. And that's what John tells them. He says, there's a new way. Things are changing. And that changes through Jesus Christ. That idea of of being born into that no longer matters. It's all submitting to God's word. 
and obeying His Word and obeying the Gospel. And I think many people today, just like those Pharisees and Sadducees who didn't want to change, who didn't want their lives to change, who didn't want to change what they thought or what they believed, even though it was God's Word, many people today do the same thing. And they can read the Word of God and they can see the Word of God, but yet they don't want to change. And they look at verses like John 3.16 where it says, All you have to do is believe. But then you think about how the demons believed. And they look at at verses like Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 where it says, "For, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And they look at those verses in isolation and say, Well, all I have to do is call on the name of the Lord. All I have to do is say, Lord, Lord, come into my heart and have this, and I say this prayer. I'm going to tell you, it never once says anything about the sinner's prayer in the Word of God. It can't be backed. Is calling on the name of the Lord, just calling out to God enough, asking Him to save us enough? And that's the question we have to ask. And that's the answer we need. But if you look at at verses like Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But I want you to see the end of that verse where it says, But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. That's what matters. Are we submitting to God's word? Are we like Jesus where he said, We have to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Or are we basing our beliefs on what we think and what we want? It's important that we base our beliefs and our actions on the word of God. When we talk about calling on the name of the Lord, we, we use this because this is very popular in the religious world today. Most people will tell you that's all you have to do. But I want to think about that phrase, calling upon the name of the Lord. And I want to think of that in modern phrases here. Think of a doctor, a doctor calling on a patient. Does that doctor walk into the exam room and say, you're healed? It doesn't work that way, right? It's a process. There's more to calling on a patient than just pronouncing them healed. They have to examine the patient. They have to see what symptoms they have. They have to decide what treatment they might need. And they may even give them some medication to help them get through that. You see, it's more than just calling on that patient. And and calling on the name of the Lord is the same way. There's more to it than that. There's more to it. And God's word, I think, explains that pretty clearly. And there's two, two things that I want to look at this morning. Two examples of this that I think really point this out. And that first example comes when we look at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Jesus has died. He's been buried. He's been resurrected. He's ascended to heaven. He's given the great commission. Peter and the other disciples have come together. Day of Pentecost. Many other Jews are there. And they preach, like we said, what we call the first gospel sermon. They preach unto these people Jesus Christ. They preach His death. They preach His burial. They preach His resurrection. And I want you to see what Peter tells them to do. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 21, it says, And it shall come to pass that whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
If calling on the name of the Lord meant asking God into your heart, wouldn't they have all just fallen to their knees and done it right that instant? I would think they would. But I think Scripture points out that they didn't quite know what calling on the name of the Lord meant. They didn't know what that entailed. They didn't know the process. Because Peter continues to preach. And we get to Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. And these people are pricked in their heart. And they say, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to become a child of God. But luckily, Peter was there to tell him. He says, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall have you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's what calling on the name of the Lord means. It's a process. It's submitting to God's word. Obeying that gospel, hearing that word, repenting, changing our ways. Confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and being baptized or buried with Him in baptism. That's what that means. Another example is looking at Paul's conversion. Paul has been struck blind. He's on this road. He's traveling. He's struck blind. And he speaks to Jesus Christ. He speaks to Him. Acts 22 and verse 10, he's recounting this event. And he says, And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. Paul has spoken to Jesus Christ, and yet he still has his sin. Jesus says, Go to Damascus, find Ananias, he'll tell you what you need to do. Well, if you look at Acts chapter 9, you see that Paul... It says he he doesn't eat or drink for three days. So he fasts for three days. It also says he he prays for those three days. But I'm going to tell you something. That prayer, that fasting didn't take away his sin. But Ananias points him in the right direction. In verse 22, or chapter 22 and verse 16, it says, And why now tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That's when we become a child of God. That's when we are forgiven of our sins. When we submit to Him in baptism, there's nothing special about that water. Nothing different about that water. In fact, it's probably a little bit dirtier than that water you're going to get out of the fountain. It's not about the water. It's about submitting to God. Fulfilling all righteousness, just like Jesus said. Why was he baptized? To fulfill all righteousness, because God told him to. Why are we baptized? Because that's what God told us to do. And if you're here this morning and you have not submitted him to ba- in baptism, you have not obeyed the gospel, I encourage you to do that today. I encourage you not to put that off. There are great blessings that come from being a child of God. And that's how you become a child of God is by obeying Him and submitting to His gospel, submitting to that gospel. Or maybe you're here and you have fallen away, or maybe you're struggling with something. We can pray for you. We can pray with you. 
if you come to the front while we stand and sing the song that's been selected.